Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Wednesday, January 13th, 2016. Welcome into Soccer Morning at worldsoccertalk.com or via podcast, wherever you might be grabbing said podcast. Uh, Big show for you today. We are only one day ahead of the MLS Super Draft taking place in Baltimore at the NSCAA convention. Therefore, it makes sense to have a guest to talk about the Super Draft. Uh, Travis Clark from Top Drawer Soccer will be joining us in a couple of minutes to go over uh, the top picks, the big talents that are available to MLS teams in this particular draft. Of course, I'll be asking him some questions about the utility of the draft in this day and age with modern uh, MLS rules, homegrown academies, and the like. Uh, we'll also perhaps talk about Jordan Morris and his situation as that gets a little bit more complicated with his uh, stint at, at uh, sorry, Werder Bremen over in Germany. I've got a note on that in the news, which we're going to hit here momentarily after Travis. Of course, we'll take your phone calls on a Wednesday. Talk whatever uh, whatever you've got coming out of the soccer world. I'm just looking at some headlines this morning that I had not yet included. I had not included in the headlines, uh, uh, in the news, but uh, certainly uh, merit some discussion. AS Roma has uh, sacked Rudy Garcia. That's uh, fascinating. I had not heard that. Uh, so we will tack that on here and start with the Premier League. Newcastle United executes two comebacks from uh, 0-2 down and 2-3 down to draw Manchester United 3-3 <coughs> Excuse me, at St. James's Park. Uh, Paul Dummett scores, uh, is it Dummett or Dumet? I don't know, Dumet. I'm going to go with Dumet because Dummett sounds terrible. Uh, scores in the 90th minute to grab a point for the Magpies. Wayne Rooney scores twice and provides an assist for Manchester United. A, uh, an inspiring performance from Wayne Rooney that's gotten him, him some words of praise over, um, on ESPN FC from our friend Musa Kwanga. Look, they drew, they drew Newcastle United. Uh, that's that's ultimately that's a disappointing result, but I guess if you're going to look for a silver lining, Wayne Rooney scoring twice and getting an assist is that silver lining. West Ham wins away to Bournemouth, one three. Aston Villa gets their first win in the league since the first game of the season, one nothing over Crystal Palace. Uh, so a bit of good news there for the villains as they grab three points, uh, but still rooted at the bottom of the table. Games today: Chelsea, West Brom, Manchester City hosting Everton, Southampton versus Watford, Stoke versus Norwich. Swansea hosting Sunderland, Liverpool and Arsenal. There's a big one there. Uh, Tottenham and Leicester. That's all games on the schedule in the Premier League in midweek. Chicago Fire goalkeeper Sean Johnson has replaced DC United's Bill Hamid at U.S. Men's National Team Camp in California. U.S. Soccer reporting that Hamid has a knee injury that he picked up before the camp. I, I, I'm still confused as to where he could have picked up a knee injury before the camp. Uh, I guess we're looking for some resolution uh, on that issue. And also the severity of this knee injury. Additional note on this camp, rehabilitating Stuart Holden has joined the camp as a guest player. That's a good sign. I'm not sure what it means exactly, but if Stu Holden's able to go out there and compete and be part of training, that's a, a, a positive step along his rehabilitation and his potential return to the field. It's been so long since we saw Stu Holden on the field. It, it feels like he retired. He did not. U.S. Soccer announces that a Federation-hosted tournament for March called the She Believes Cup, will feature the United States women's national team, England, Germany, and France. The competition will take place over the course of a week in uh, March, March 3rd through 9th, in Tampa, Nashville, and Boca Raton. Uh, so a, uh, a top-level women's tournament, very briefly there. 
hosted by the U.S. Uh, uh, US Soccer Federation. That's a, a matter of pulling in some cash, I imagine. Uh, the draw for the summers for this summer's Copa America Centenario, speaking of tournaments taking place on American soil, will take place um, on February 11th in the New York area. That comes from Grant Wall on Twitter yesterday. The United States, Brazil, Argentina, and Mexico are seated for the tournament. Copa America Centenario kicks off on June 3rd at Levi's Stadium in Santa Clara, California, when the United States plays their first game in Group A. Uh, so we'll find out who that uh, potential opponent might be in about a month's time. Again, in the New York area somewhere, uh, Co- CONCACAF and Commonwealth getting together to hold uh, a draw. CONCACAF, by the way, releasing uh, some award nominees, which maybe we'll get to later on in the show. ESPN's, ESPN FC's Jeff Carlisle reports that Jordan Morris had already made up his mind to sign with the Seattle Sounders before being pushed to take a trial with Werder Bremen by U.S. Men's National Team Head Coach and Technical Director Jurgen Klinsmann. This comes out of an item over at uh, ESPN FC, obviously. Uh, this is a key paragraph as written by our friend Jeff Carlisle. If Morris ultimately is tempted to sign overseas, it will no doubt increase the rift between Klinsmann and MLS. Multiple sources indicated that Morris's mind was essentially made up to sign with Seattle weeks ago, but Klinsman convinced Morris to accept Bremen's offer to go on trial. U.S. assistant and former Werder Bremen player Andy Herzog helped set up the training stand and was later quoted as saying that it was his goal, that it was the goal of he and Klinsman to quote get as many players to Europe as possible unquote. He later told FoxSports.com that he was misquoted. That's obviously uh, walking back some of those um, those comments. Herzog made them in German. I suppose there's some some sort of plausible deniability here, but it's clear that uh, at least in this particular case with this particular player, Klensman and Herzog wanted to see him chase a bit of a higher level. The Sounders, um, for their part, are waiting patiently. Garth Lagerwey saying, you know, eventually Morris will make up his mind and there's nothing they can do. They've already made the largest homegrown contract offer in MLS history in excess of $200,000 a year towards, uh, uh, sorry, for Jordan Morris, again, who... Uh, comes out of Stanford, uh, highly touted with the U.S. men's national team reputation, a goal scored, a, a, a college championship. Uh, not part of the draft. He would have been, say, five, six years ago. But here he is, uh, likely a, a homegrown signing if he does play for MLS. Meanwhile, there are numerous players in the MLS Super Draft, uh, which takes place tomorrow in Baltimore. And we're going to talk to Travis Clark from Top Door Soccer, Travis M. Clark on Twitter, about this draft the value uh, available, the talent available, whether or not this is a deeper draft than last year's, and what we should uh, look for uh, when these teams get ready to make their picks tomorrow up there in Baltimore. All right, here we go, Travis Clark. Let's step aside. Don't go anywhere. It is Soccer Morning on a Wednesday, worldsoccertalk.com. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Oh, the things you miss if you don't watch the video stream, me doing my little dancing things here in my seat. Seat dancing. I think Travis Clark does a lot of seat dancing over (laughs) at his pad where he covers many different kinds of soccer for Top Door Soccer. He joins us now. Hi, Travis. 
hey, I actually was dancing. That was yeah, some pretty yeah. good intro music, and I feel like yeah. I have a lot to live up to to keep the uh, listeners on the line here. <laughs> well, okay, look, um, I, I think just to just kind of to, to to put some context around this, the the MLS Super Draft is a very odd thing. Um, you've covered your fair share. You and I have covered them together. We we've we've made this road trip a couple of times. I don't know if you got out to Kansas City a couple of years ago, but when it's on the East Coast, it's fairly simple for us to get there. And it, it is an event. Um, it is the, the the league makes a big deal of it. Uh, there's 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 lights and and uh, uh, big you know loud music and and interviews happening and everything else. And I, I wonder what you make of it from not just from the value of the players involved, uh, the the quality of the players and and how that's changing because we'll get to that eventually. But just the event itself, what what you make of it? I think, and not to disparage MLS too much. I think it's a they make a mount, try to make a mountain out of a molehill. So when you look at the players that are picked in the context of that, there are some guys who will contribute to a team in 2016. You want to drum up an interest as a league and get fans to know some of these players, but you know because there's not that same sort of working knowledge within a fan base uh, mm-hmm. as the NFL carries, as college football carries, and there's not that same cachet between college basketball and um, the NBA, a lot of you know, a lot of fans are working these past few weeks to kind of catch up to speed. Maybe people will watch the uh, the Final Four, and that's usually some of the worst soccer you'll see in the college level <laughs> yeah, in the right? fall. Yeah. And you know, you take the, all that, you throw it together, and you try to make the same thing with MLS, and it's just not yeah. the same. And you, you have you have you can't fault MLS for trying to make a big deal out of it, but at the same time, there's no reason to trump it up to make it such a big deal when, you know, you look, a good way to describe the value of the draft is Nick Beasler went fifth overall to the Portland Timbers, yeah. barely played a minute. Yeah. I don't even know if he made a league appearance and they won MLS Cup. You yeah. look at that and you're just, okay. You know, Kyle Lahren, obviously, he made a big impact as the number one pick. That was good. Good to see. But you're not going to see a lot of guys. It's pretty standard this year. There are some good players, some players who have some intriguing abilities, but you never know if they will be able to make that leap going from three-month season to a full pro season. And then in the, add to the factor that the, there's so many other factors around, you know, their adjustment to that, the coaching, get, just getting a chance, having a chance to develop. Yeah. And you look at that and you're just – this is not as big a deal as it should, as it made out to be. Yeah, well, look, I mean, I think it's okay for them to put on a show, but as you said, it, it, the, the players that are available and, and the homegrown uh, program and the academies have changed this dramatically. You know, I just mentioned that uh, it, it, whether or not Jordan Morris decides to go to Germany or not, if he was going to stay in MLS, you know, he's going to sign with the Sounders as a homegrown player. Ten years ago, he's in the draft, and maybe this is a different sort of situation we're talking about. Um, but as it exists, the, there's a limited amount of talent here. I'm looking at last year's, and we're going to get to the kids this year, um, but I'm looking at last year's um, uh, first round, and as you mentioned, Kyle Aaron was a success, a, a big player, rookie of the year for Orlando City, number one overall pick. Um, you mentioned Nick Beasler not making a league appearance at number five. You know, you go down this list, the, 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 the players who made an impact, um, you can count on one hand. Kyle Lahren, yeah. Kyle Lahren, Fatia Lashe, um, Matt Polster, 
Christian Roldan, and, and you want to throw in Amadou Dia, you can t- throw him as, as well. Um, beyond that, you could make it small, you know, a, a lesser case for guys like Saad Abdul Salam, mm-hmm. um, uh, not Kyrie Shelton, even though he's in national team camp. I don't think he did a whole lot. Tim Parker, okay, maybe you throw him in the mix. Then you, you, uh, maybe Nacho Maganto at the end of the year, but, but he didn't do much, um, before that. Uh, he showed some potential, but that's about it. At, at number, and look, it's the first round. You should at least, you know, in every other sport, those guys are at least making their rosters, right? They're at least showing up in uh, on an NFL team or an NBA team or you know or whatever. In this case, there are so many guys here that are probably never going to make an impact at all, or may find themselves out of the league. In fact, Leo Stoltz, who I rem- uh, Stoltz, who I remember last year being touted as MLS ready at the very least, even if his ceiling wasn't very high. He at mm-hmm. least was MLS ready. Uh, he picked at number eight, dropped in the in the draft, and uh, apparently rightfully so because he was picked at number eighteen by the Red Bulls. And they released him after the first year, and all he did was play for the for Red Bulls too. He didn't even get any minutes with the senior team. Uh, so it, it just shows you what the value of this draft is. And yet again, we look at the we we look at the rundown here, and, the, and I'm looking at your mock draft over at Top Tour Soccer, and and there there are some guys that people expect to show up and be legitimate soccer players especially joshua yarrow at the top and and a couple of other players right and then obviously the other name getting lots of headlines is brandon vinson the left back from stanford you know you get included in the u.s national team ideally that that bodes well for you but you you can make the same point about alex bono who went six overall and he was in national team camp around this time and you know he had a an up and down season for tfc2 not even the first team so there are plenty of factors when you look at it. You know, I mean, I don't blame people for being interested in it. And as our, you know, as a website that produces content for it, you see the uptick in sort of a different uh, audience visiting the site. So you like that point. You hope people stay for a little bit longer as we look as we move on from the draft and that sort of thing. But you know, you're looking up and down, even at the players now, and you think, okay, well, I think this guy. I think Richie Larea could be good, but a lot of what will happen to him will end up being what team takes him, what they want to do with him, if he has a USL team or a, a plan for him. Uh, you know, obviously that's a generation Adidas guy a little bit younger, so that's a little bit of a different. Yeah, I think, yeah. you know, someone like Keegan, Keegan Rosenberry, I look at and I think, I've watched him for four years at Georgetown, so I think he's someone that, okay, he's a guy that'll go in, he will compete for minutes at right back. Some coaching staff will be very lucky to grab him. Yeah, you know, it's interesting to consider the approach of teams now. I mean, um, Vincent Toronto is pointing out that, of course, the USL, uh, USL teams have changed the way MLS clubs will approach the draft. I mean, there's a place to send kids to get some seasoning now where maybe they didn't have that before. And, and yes, um, you know, their contract status and their age makes a big difference in whether, like, Leo Stoles was 20, it was 24 this, this past season. Um, you know, he, he, he went the full, the full college experience after having been in Germany and been in a couple of, uh, of, of systems there. So he was not exa- exactly typical, or at least typical in terms of top picks, because as you said, a, a GA kid who's not hitting your salary budget is a different prospect. Right. You, you hang on to him. You, you cut Leo Stoltz, go. You, you cut him loose because he's 24 and he's hitting your, your salary budget and, and really there's no benefit in keeping a guy that old. And, and having him play at USL too. You've got other younger players, especially home, maybe homegrown players. Who yeah, can- especially the Red Bulls. Sorry to cut you off, but the Red Bulls case too. You just yeah. signed six homegrown players. You you have Sean Davis, who is better and was. I think 
you know, he's a guy that will end up, would end up pushing Stoles out of the picture. Younger, American, probably at a lower number. Mel Corbeau's similar situation. He's one of the new signees, central midfield. So the writing was on the wall for Stoles at a high number, and you're not even making the 18 for the MLS team. You're, yeah. you're going to be out the door. Yeah. Sorry to pick on Stoles, but no, no, you know, no, that's th- a good point you bring up. Yeah, yeah. I just, he's an example, and, and because I think that it's important to point out the circumstances of why a guy like that gets released after a year. And, 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 he, and he, you know, again, he looks like a bust. Now, again, within the Red Bulls context, the number of homegrown players that they've signed and, and what they're doing with their, with their USL team makes it not as much about Leo Stoles as is about the Red Bulls, but he he obviously wasn't ready to step right in, whereas a guy like Kyle Lahren clearly was. A guy like Vitaly Lashley clearly was. And, and and that's not it's not simple to identify these players. So let's look at you know, speaking of this and you and you've picked out a couple of, of names already, but give me the guys that that from from the best guesses you guys can make at Top Door Soccer are really the players you would expect to uh, not only be drafted in the first round, which is only the the, the only round that really makes a, a difference in MLS anymore, but are capable of making t- a team, being in the team, and getting significant minutes. Who's, there might not be a Kyle Lahren in this group. He scored 17 goals. But is there somebody that can approach Kyle Lahren? Uh, yeah, obviously, no one, there's no forward that comes close to his abilities. I think Fabian Herbers is an interesting case. Uh German player, so he's got a little bit of a different background. Didn't look like he was going to be making or signing a generation Adidas deal and ended up uh, obviously being a last-minute signing after the Herman Trophy. He was, you know, he finished behind Jordan Morris, which you can make a case that Herbers had a much had a better college season overall than Morris. But once Stanford won the national title, it was like, well, sorry, Fabian, you're not no chance you're going to win. Um, I'm not even sure when the Herman voting is done, but I just you couldn't really see him winning that. I think he's someone that a team takes a a risk on, but he end up doing stuff for this year. Maybe not a high ceiling kind of guy. Um, obviously, there is a risk involved with all of these players. Moving along, obviously, I mentioned Rosenberry. He's a guy that I would back to find success. Curious about the center backs. There's a lot of, of pretty solid center backs out there, but I don't even think I, either, you know, you're looking at the John Campbells, Kyle Fishers. I don't think those guys really even come close to like a Steve Birnbaum type where you end up seeing them log significant minutes during this upcoming season. But maybe guys that, you know, maybe they're on a USL team, USL two team with an MLS team somewhere and end up cracking the starting lineup on a team that doesn't make the playoffs. You know, Yarrow's an interesting case because you, you look at him and you think, well, you know, you're 5'10", 5'11", but you're a freak athlete. Are you going to try him as a right back? Are you going to work him out as a center back, which he could do, I think, you know, and he'd be an asset to you. Jordan McCrary is probably a top 10 guy that I think is kind of a lock to see some minutes. You know, outside of that, there's a lot of question marks. The uh, Division II center back everyone's talking about is Tony Alfaro from Cal State Dominguez Hills. And everyone has to, you know, have him going to the Galaxy in the mock draft because they play, you know, <laughs> Cal State Dominguez Hills is where the, where the, the home, this, I almost called it the Home Depot Center, StubHub Center is. So those guys are some of the names. Uh, again, there, there are a lot of interesting cases. A lot of people like Andrew Tarbell, the Clemson goalkeeper, but there are always so many goalkeepers and they're also in situations where, well, will he get minutes? Is someone going to pick a rookie goalkeeper and then, you know, play him? Or is it right. going to be like a, a t- he'll kind of, fall down, go somewhere in the late first, early second round to a team that has a plan for him and be like, okay, we're going to we're loan you out to our USL team all year or 
you know, we're going to have you as our number two guy, that kind of a thing. So, so many factors to consider that I've learned that, you know, how does an international status affect somebody, that kind of a thing. So, so many things to consider. And then obviously, people love to guess and to speculate and to do mock drafts. And uh, at this point, I'm just ready for the draft to be over and done with. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the the factors, I mean, we've identified some of them. You just threw another one in the mix, the, 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 the international status. Again, I'm sorry to go back to Leo Stoles. I'm not sure he had a green card. Probably international slot um, if, the, if the Red Bulls add him to the roster. And those things come at a premium. We know this. So you have international kids. Um, who um, suffer for that, but then you have GA contracts, which give them give the teams a benefit. Then you have, um, you know, th- there's just so many things. That you, again, the 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 USL factor, um, positional questions, because as you said, uh, whether or not you you draft a a goalkeeper in the first round. I mean, Andre Blake goes first overall a couple years ago, and we're only just now seeing a, a potential for him to be the out and out starter for Philadelphia. After all of their, you know, back and forth with goalkeeping, uh, yeah, foil, I mean, volleys. you know, and, and hopefully Ernie Stewart, uh, you know, gets a hold of the goalkeeper situation in Philadelphia. But it just again, it, it speaks to the the very hit and miss situation uh, with with this draft. I did a review very briefly for ESPN FC of last year's draft, and again, we we mentioned the guys who were a success. Do you consider? I, and I have to go back and look, and uh, th- there's actually some pretty decent work been done on on sort of counting numbers and and using um, using minutes and, and and starts and appearances as sort of a judge of of how good these players are coming out of the draft. Of course, it's more difficult to judge last year's draft than the 2014 draft or the 2013 draft. Mm-hmm. But when you look at the trends, do you do you actually see trends? Do you actually see sort of the thing settling into a, a soft spot for MLS teams, considering all of these uh, new mechanisms for signing players, or is there still a process here for clubs to determine how to use the draft? I think each team can use the draft as to how it sees fit, and like you know, like we've kind of already touched on, it can go, it can run the gamut from you know DC when DC United picks Steve Birnbaum, I think, you know they traded for the Blake pick, or they traded down, picked Birnbaum, and I don't think he was like in the starting lineup from day one, but it maybe took a few weeks to a month, and he was their center back, and they didn't have to go out and sign a center back. You know, that is one way of looking at it. And then there's the Beasler factor, the, the Leo Stoles, where a team is in a more advantageous position with its roster or has a more trusted approach to its scouting network abroad or what have you and can orchestrate moves you know, you bring in the Sasha question, you know, you bring in Felipe, you have Dax McCarty on your roster, and you don't need to go to the draft to pick up a player. Now, that's not to say the Red Bulls haven't found value in the draft, just to use him as an example. You know, a guy like Chris Duvall ended up as a starting right back for them, I believe, during his rookie season at a few points. Uh, obviously, he had some injury problems last year. Who knows how it'll kick on for him in 2016, but those are just kind of examples that are jumping out to me. So, it's still pretty sporadic. It is still a hit or miss prospect where teams are I guess I don't know each team by team specifics and you know the scouting that they are they do but I I know a handful of MLS scouts that you know kind of our local people out here on the east coast that are driving up and down looking at games and some are even flying around the country a little bit you know some teams it's just having their their technical staff go out and about you know I saw Jay Heaps at a Georgetown game uh, last fall, for example, after the season, after their season was over, so you know it's hit or miss, it's sporadic, and I think that 
it's difficult to kind of gauge what your investment is worth. If you're really, you know, if you're doubling down on your academy, if you have a USL2 yeah. team and you yeah. can kind of offer this natural bridge to your first team and you're actually using that, I don't, you can't totally discard the drafts completely, but it's not going to be the difference between you winning MLS Cup and not. Yeah, that, 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 that leads me. I mean, there's obviously going to be variable of you know variables in terms of of how teams approach this thing and different ways different teams look at it. You know, whether or not the, I mean, I, I guess again, whether or not the homegrown um, situation for the for a certain team is strong, uh, whether or not they're already stocked at certain positions, um, whatever X, Y, and Z things that they're going to consider when they look at the draft. But do you get the sense? And I, I don't know. I mean, I know you're looking at this a lot from the talent side, not necessarily from the club side, but do you get the sense that there are clubs who have essentially said, yeah, we'll just take whoever, you know, whoever's the consensus best player at that point when our turn comes and we'll see what happens because we're not going to put a lot of resources now into the draft, into the college game because we've got all these other things to consider. And, and, and as you said, maybe there's just not enough, uh, not, uh, there's not the scouting uh, the sc- scouting infrastructure isn't there for them to really have a grasp on on who's going to step in and be immediate, uh, an immediate contributor or who needs to go to USL or or whatever. Yeah, I don't I don't get the sense. Uh, I can't speak league wide, obviously, but I don't really get the sense that any teams are just kind of bagging the draft because even with all those factors considered, it's still you know it's a gamble, it's a risk, but you can do ha- pretty half-assed research and still come up with a player if you if you have a good network even just within the college game itself of coaches you know you pick up a phone call a couple d1 coaches they can give you value and insight uh, you know whether it's a the coach of a player you're looking at or the opposition coach that you know there are some pretty sharp coaches at that level that you can kind of lean on in that regard so to cast it aside completely would be a, a bit foolish i believe and i can't imagine any team doing that uh, you know at the same time a lot of what I'm saying is speculation, so maybe there are teams out there. And, of course, the coaches always want to hang out with each other and have vacation in South Florida, so the combine will <laughs> well, always that, exist too, right? And that's the thing. I want to ask you about the combine and from what and from your experience and certainly the guys that you work with at Top Drawer and, and some of the other people who go out and, co- and cover that thing. It's such an odd event. It's It's a couple of days. How much can you really learn about a kid in a couple of days in teams with with filled out with players they've never played with before i mean it, it we, we talk about this this sport in particular more than any other being teammate dependent you can't and system dependent and, and tactical tactically dependent you can't take a kid in isolation i mean we, we try to do it all the time we give ratings to players during games and, and i always feel weird about it travis because it's impossible to pick out one guy and decide if he had a good game or a bad game over the course, especially of 90 minutes. And I guess, I'm guessing a lot of these guys don't even get 90 minutes of consecutive time on the field in a combine match. So what do you get out of it? I think there's a, you know, the value maybe in the face to face meetings, the interviews with kids more so than even evaluating them as, uh, you know, players themselves. Cause it, you know, not only is it the factors you mentioned, but for most of these kids, their season ended in November. So, I know I'm sure a lot are, are working their butts off and trying to keep as fit as they can, but they're not playing 90 minutes of soccer on a regular basis. So you throw them out there, you know, fit, fitness, sharpness is all lacking probably across the board. I mean, it is. I've been there. And, you know, every year I ask, my, I ask you know, kind of have this internal debate within TDS, like, well, should we go? Is it worth it? And it's sort of, if you're basing and evaluating talent just off of those three games, and I'm sure some teams are more than they would admit, 
you know, it's not going to necessarily reflect well. I still think you could come up with a player who ends up, you know, a lot of people will point out the Tesho Ekandele, but that kind of overlooks the fact that when the, that FC Dallas knew of him, because Oscar Perea likely scouted the, him while he was at the Colorado School of Mines, right. while he was with the Rapids. Right. So yeah. that overlooks that. And yes, the Rap, you know, the Dallas trade up, that Dallas made that trade up for him. And it's worked out relatively well. He's not a superstar by any stretch, but you know, he's a, sol- a good, solid pro for them. But that, that was more than just his combine performance. At least I would like to believe. I could be wrong. Okay. I could totally be speaking out of turn. But, you know, you, you see the, the coverage of it. They do the physical testing, and that draws vitriol from a certain crowd of people. And uh, it is a little bit silly to, to use that when you're looking at recruiting or uh, looking at players for, you know, professional soccer. But at the end of the day, I feel like it's always just going to be there because there's an element of the coaches just want to be able to have a vacation. And maybe that's a cynic in me. Um, but it's a really nice time because you're only working for a couple hours a day and then you have days off in between. But for the players, it's kind of a grind. Three games in five days, that yeah. is really not going to lead to a lot of great stuff. No, of course not. Um, all right, so the draft coming up tomorrow. Um, again, we'll see uh, how this plays out. You guys have mocked the draft. I mean, you've done a mock draft uh, over So at, many mocks. Uh, so, many, so much mocking going on. <clears throat> uh, top Door Soccer, probably, you know, I, I'm going to guess one of the best and most well-informed. It's certainly... You guys know these kids from having seen them play, watched them play, uh, been out uh, probably more than, than than most. And of course, you know, again, this is a it's a big country with a lot of soccer happening and, and thousands of players to kind of drill down and, and, and identify, a, you know, twenty guys who are going to go in the first round. It's got to be really really difficult. Um, you know, you, you guys have you guys have Yarrow at the top going to the fire with the number one pick. There's rumors that the fire are going to trade the pick. If that if the fire get out of the number one spot, does that change uh, where Yarrow ends up? I think it could. I think he should end up top five somewhere, but it it could be a uh, you know maybe Philadelphia trades up because they really want to get Vincent or someone else really wants Jack Harrison. That certainly could happen. You know he's a he's a really dynamic, electric, exciting player who I think in the right system can thrive. Uh, you know a, a kind of guy. I watched him at Wake Forest, and you're like. There are rare times where you watch college soccer games and be like, I want to watch that player play, and it's very fun. Now, part of that, Wake's system was very fun to watch as well. You know, they were very possession-oriented, keeping the ball, attacking um, soccer, and he was like a kind of the, the attacking linchpin on the wing. So I, I, those are kind of the two guys you'd imagine. I can't imagine anyone else, either Yarrow Harrison or Vincent, seem like, the number one overall type okay. pick. And yeah. Vincent would be interesting because he's not a GA. So um, that could be a little bit of a surprise, I think. All right. Uh, so, so the draft is coming. We'll, we'll, again, we'll see what happens uh, with those, those guys and, and who goes number one overall. It's not quite the same sort of honor it is in the NFL draft, but it's still a big deal to be uh, the top pick uh, uh, for anybody in, in the MLS Super Draft. Um, you know, again, the, the guy I, I mentioned who 10 years ago would have been in the Super Draft, but now if he ends up in MLS is likely to be uh, a Seattle Sounder is Jordan Morris, the, the, the Herman Award uh, award winner, the, uh, the the national champion with Stanford who led his team to that title, uh, a U.S. international, a guy with a goal against Mexico under his belt. Certainly a lot of hype and a lot of uh, expectation for Jordan Morris, whether um, whether in MLS or beyond, and he's over in Germany right now with Werder Bremen. And, and I've heard the 
In fact, I read the, the report this morning, Travis, from, from Jeff Carlisle, that, that Jordan was basically ready to sign with Seattle before Klinsman and Andy Herzog stepped in and, and sort of encouraged him, probably very forcefully, to go try this thing out in, in Germany. Um, just just your perspective on, on, on what's happening here, because again, MLS needs players like Jordan Morris, and yet when you consider the, the wider scope of American soccer, it might actually be better if Jordan Morris does end up in Germany. Right. I think that's the, the important thing to keep in mind. I, th- I believe I'm uh, paraphrasing Alexi Laws here when I, I say that what, what's good for MLS or, or what owners or fans perceive to be good for MLS isn't necessarily good for the national team. So you look at a guy like Jordan and you think, okay, where is the best fit for you? I think that in terms of pushing him and demanding more out of him as a player, obviously it's uh, Europe is the right path for him. But there are so many factors there. You know, The factors we discuss when you're looking at a college draft and these players, it's the same for Jordan. Is it the right club? Will he play? Will he be comfortable? Will he adjust? And if he goes to Seattle, maybe that eases his transition to pro level a little bit more. And I, I know looking at the situation for me, I would bet every single dollar that I own that he will end up signing with Seattle. I would no, not even hesitate. Knowing, seeing the player grow, go from club and to stay, stay at Stanford for as long as he did, you get the sense that he likes being comfortable in a familiar environment. And he, so he'll probably end up signing with Seattle. This is just to kind of, as you mentioned, please, Klinsman, keep himself in the mix with the national team. So I just think it would be hilarious if if Morris signs with an MLS team with Seattle and he doesn't get called into the national team anymore. It would be, it's like you're calling him up when he's at Stanford and not now at Seattle. That would would just be (laughs) the most bizarre Klinsman thing ever, I think. Yeah, it would be up there. You know, it smacks totally as what, I haven't read that report yet from Jeff Carlisle, but you know it's it smacks totally of what what's going on in the situation. I think I think it's probably good for Jordan overall to see that level to be like you know maybe ask himself maybe he will have second thoughts maybe he will end up there uh, if he sees and be like look I can hang with these guys I can do this and I could play in the Bundesliga but then you know going there for a few days on trial is a lot different than living there yeah, yeah. in a country where you don't speak the language so uh, you know I'm all for it I lived abroad. I lived in Australia, so it didn't matter. And it pushes you as a person. It may, you know, it, it just introduces you to a lot more things than, um, you know, going away, going to college, and then going moving back home. Um, not that if Jordan did that, it would be wrong, but you know, there are things about it that just help you as a person even more so than. Uh, just a, just looking at it as a soccer player perspective. Yeah, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, as fans, the first thing we go to is is playing time and development. And and look, the coaching and the level and the competition hired Verde Bremen. The amount of playing time available probably better in Seattle. I mean, you, it's hard to imagine Jordan Morris signing out of college with uh, you know, a top ten German team and then suddenly becoming a player that they're they're going to throw out there in in Bundesliga matches. Uh, you know, whether he's, co- he's playing in the DFB. Pokal is not necessarily what we're looking for, but this is about him as well and about his individual uh, view on his career. Just a couple of quotes here. Werder Bremen CEO Thomas Eichen said, he does a few things you usually rarely see. He has his sights set on goal uh, at all times, does not think about it too much. He could be a creative transfer. We'll we'll see. Um, Again, I don't don't know if there's a lot of fire to this smoke, but it does speak to uh, what's happening with the national team and the sort of 
opposite directions that, that the U.S. soccer program under Jurgen Klinsmann is pulling versus what MLS is trying to do. And again, I don't think either one is necessarily wrong, uh, Travis. It's just mm-hmm. they, they, they are working at cross purposes. And I, I, I do worry about the impact of that. I just, I don't, I don't know what it's going to be though. And, and we can't, you know, we, we, we obviously can't predict the future for a guy like Jordan Morris. And if you'll give me a sense of what you make of, of his talent, um, you know, we've all seen him play with the national team in limited, uh, spurts. Uh, we've seen a little bit of his college career if we watched, you know, the, the college cup and the like, but, is he really a guy who's going to continue on this upward trajectory, or, or, or can we expect sort of a plateau at some point? Well, I think every player is going to plateau at some point, but I, I don't know how soon that would be. I think that Jordan is a good player. He's probably not as good of a player as he's made out to be. I, I feel like his inclusion to the national team is a lot down to the fact that he's fast and as simple as that is and in some ways, uh, disappointing. It's not that he's a, not a technical player. He's, he's not, he's not first and foremost, but his speed is obviously something that, you know, you, you look around MLS, you think about the American Fords, American attackers that are available at Clemson's disposal, disposal, and there are not a lot of players with that, that kind of pace. So, uh, you know, that's something that comes to mind. And it, you could make the judgment that that would fit well in MLS because, you know, he's, you know, you, I watched him play against Wake Forest in person, which is, and he looked like a man against boys. He's, you know, he's a big, strong kid. So, you take that into consideration. You think about, you know, some of the the characterizations of the generalizations of MLS, and it seems like that would be a nice fit for him because of what he kind of brings to the table. I think that his ceiling is probably not as high as it might have once been. If not, not to say if he moved to Europe or turned pro sooner, but it just seems like maybe, you know, at a point where if your game is based a lot on pace, then if you don't evolve in other parts of the game and you can kind of lean on those uh, aspects of your game to succeed, you won't be pushed as much as you would be in other environments. Yeah. So I will be curious to see how he ends up. I think he would be an obvious slam dunk rookie of the year contender here in MLS. He would be hard-pressed to... I don't know what Werder Bremen's situation is in the Bundesliga or who they have, but I think his versatility, if he can play out wide there, that would certainly help him if he can handle kind of the track and back defensive duties. But I think that would be a move where you may not see him play very much. And in that situation, he may not end up, or play much right away, I should say, because you know, you're talking about a January transfer, you're talking about coming in in the middle of a season where you know, if you're wherever they are on the table, that's going to impact who they're playing. So, um, you know, it, it's it, it's an interesting juncture for him to be at. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's nice to see that he's just leaving Stanford and kind of a relief, to be honest. Okay. The, yeah, we've all been waiting on that after three years. Uh, but, I mean, look, the, the guy we all expected to be watching at Verda Bremen was Aaron Johansson. He hasn't yet been able to figure out how to get healthy. Uh, and that hasn't happened, so uh, we're, 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 maybe it'll be a different American forward who's over there in Germany for Werder uh, Bremen. Everyone to, should just watch Christian Pulisic anyway. We'll yeah. just hype him up instead. Uh, well, right? look, I would love to have you on for another twenty minutes to talk about Christian Pulisic. I'm going to have to get to phone calls here, but let's just keep, let's just rem- and I, and I'm I'm careful, and you know this, Travis. I want to be careful about the hype machine. Now with Jordan Morris, who's 21 years old. Who's um, who's shown up for the national team and been picked by Jurgen Klinsmann, right or wrong? I don't feel as weird. But when it comes to Christian Pulisic, who has uh, during the winter break gotten some time on the field with the first team 
at Dortmund. I, I want to be careful. I mean, let's, let's, let's not get ahead of ourselves. I mean, I mean, be excited, but let's not get yeah, ahead of ourselves. Yeah, you can be careful and excited. Yeah, be careful, be excited. That's the same thing I would say about Gideon Zalalem, who's doing it in the second division in Scotland. Uh, it's, it's all, it's all out there. Maybe the future is very bright. Travis Clark from Top Door Soccer. Go, tra- go follow Travis at Travis M. Clark. He'll be up there in Baltimore. Uh, for the Super Draft and the events uh, surrounding it. And uh, hopefully I'll get to see you up there, Travis. Appreciate the time. Yep. Thanks for having me on. There goes uh, Travis Clark. Always a good chat with him. Let's take a break. When we come back, the phone lines will be open. We can talk Jordan Morris. We can talk Aaron Johansson. We can talk Christian Pulisic. We can talk NFL. Not kind of. Soccer Warning, Sirius XMFC 85. I can't believe I just did that. I just said the Sirius XMFC. Wow, that's terrible. I'll see you guys in a second. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. All right, guys, this is Soccer Morning on WorldSoccerTalk.com. That's where we are right now. Yes, I, I know where I am. Please don't think that I've lost my mind. Just a, a couple of wires getting crossed here in the last segment. Good discussion, excuse me. Good discussion with Travis Clark about the MLS Super Draft coming up tomorrow. That's certainly um, one of the top uh, stories in the American soccer scene, and uh, in addition to the Jordan Moore situation. In addition to Alan Polito, perhaps going to the Colorado Rapids, that's out there floating around on the hot stove, and just breaking, the Orlando uh, Sentinel reporting that Orlando City will not be playing in their new stadium at any point in 2016. Construction has taken longer than they expected, and that the club has now announced they'll play the entirety of the 2016 season at the Citrus Bowl, uh, which is obviously the, the stadium that they opened up their existence in. Um, not, not great, not great news. Uh, but I imagine it's about getting it right. Um, if you're working to, um, if you're working to, to, to put this, a world class stadium together in a market like Orlando, you got to get it right. Uh, the other thing that's, that's come up the last 24 hours or so, uh, relates to the NFL, and, and and really it's about what's happening with the relocation of the St. Louis Rams to Los Angeles. They return to L.A. for the Rams, as voted on by the NFL owners yesterday. It looks like that's going to happen. Who knows what's going to happen with the Chargers? Uh, but at least we know the Rams are going to move to L.A. Now, with that happening, and yes, St. Louis is getting screwed. Let's just put that out there on the table. But with that happening, does that mean that there is now an opportunity for MLS to move into the St. Louis market? I think Nelly down in Texas wants to talk about this very issue. What's up, Nelly? Hey, Jason. <clears throat> the uh, when Seattle lost the Sonics, you know, it's a big deal for them. And you know, Sanders came into MLS, and they've got a lot of fan base that follow them. I, I know it's 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 a hard idea, but I'm thinking maybe now in three, four years, St. Louis could now have a MLS team. Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't know, team. I don't know that the that the Rams moving is a direct has a direct connection to what 
might happen with soccer in St. Louis. And I'm not trying to say St. Louis wouldn't be a good market or they don't love their soccer in St. Louis. But still, you've got to have all the ducks in a row. And that's that's an owner of a significant, deep-pocketed owner. And, and the way that MLS is trending right now, you've got to have a lot of cash to be an MLS owner these days. Or you have to have a group that has a lot of cash. Um, two, you've, right. got, you've got to have a stadium plan. I mean, you, you've got to have a, a legi- in, in this place, not in New York City, obviously, but in this place, you've got to have a stadium plan together, ready to go in St. Louis. And, and, and I don't yeah, know that a- we've established the efficacy of the fan base in St. Louis yet. I, I think that while, look, again, while it's, while it's natural to consider that there's a vacuum in St. Louis, let's move into St. Louis. I, I don't know. There, there are some other things that have to be done first. I think what maybe is also interesting, Nellie, and, and I don't think that you're calling about this, but let's consider the impact uh, of the Rams going to L.A. and potentially the Chargers moving to L.A. on the Galaxy and on, on LAFC. I mean, I don't know that L.A. is clamoring for two NFL teams or even for the Rams to come back, but there's going to be enough of a buzz in the city that you imagine it's going to overshadow what LAFC could have done. LAFC might have had sort of the outdoor professional sports market to themselves uh, beyond baseball. And that's a, that's a di- very different niche kind of thing over a long summer. But they could have had sort of this thing to themselves for a little while in terms of building publicity. But now th- everything LAFC does is only like, going to be immediately overshadowed by the fact the Rams are coming back. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, I've noticed that a lot of the MLS teams that have a lot of fan support are teams that don't have a another professional sports team like Portland. You know, they only have them and the Blazers. Montreal, when they lost the Expos, they were very upset too, and now they have the impact. We also like cities like that that don't have more the the four big sports tend to attract more fans. So I think maybe in St. Louis, there's a chance that you can have a a good support of fans, maybe in 10 years, that would push for MLS to be there. Because MLS seems to be working in cities that only have one professional team or none. Yeah, it, it, look, MLS is the, the cocktail that makes for success in soccer. Thanks for the call. Um, I appreciate it, Nelly. The cocktail that makes for success at the professional soccer level is an interesting one. Certainly we've seen, I, I, I don't want to just say that it has to be this certain way because that's the way that the trend has gone. And we've seen a little success with a specific kind of market. Portland, NBA team, nothing else. Timbers doing very well. Soccer City, USA. Orlando, NBA team, nothing else. College football, certainly, but, but not, not right there, not right next, you know, not right in Orlando dominating the national scene. So that's, that's a, a, there's room for Orlando City on some level. Um, you know, whether or not we see the same sort of success in a place like, like Minnesota, or whether or not Miami can rise above, I mean, will tell us a lot about whether or not MLS should be. But but that's the thing. MLS needs the mix, and, and that's why Atlanta exists. And that's it's it's hmm. It's a very it's a. I imagine there's a lot of people putting on a lot of hard work on, and crunching a bunch of numbers to try to find a formula for whether or not MLS is going to work in a town. And I don't think it's ever. It's an art more than a science. Aaron Jersey on the air. Hey, um, I actually think this is a very unique opportunity for a bunch of reasons, uh, both San Diego and uh, St. Louis, uh, primarily because you already have stadiums in place. Even though San Diego is an old stadium, 
um, you know, it's still a stadium. And I think one of the challenges has been when you're dealing with any foreign um, club investment is they, they're realizing the way we are structured around uh, real estate stadiums, you know, right of ways is far more complex than in Europe. Uh, where, you know, basically if you own the land, you can put a road up and pretty much put a stadium up. Um, I mean, it's not quite that simple, but it, it's, it's very doable. There's a model. There's hundreds of them that have, or thousands really over the years. So, so, so people kind of know the formula. And I think if you have two operating stadiums now that you can leverage, and I have to imagine those cities will be reasonably desperate, not, not willing to make a dumb deal, but, you know, I mean, an, an MLS or an NASL deal is not a, Typically, not a dumb deal, right? I mean, you're not throwing billions of dollars at these yeah, uh, sure. entities. We're, we're, we're yeah, tens of millions tops. Degrees. You're talking about degrees of of dumb versus yeah. Look, exactly. There, there are people out there. And, I mean, fieldofschemes.com exists for a reason. Neil DeMouse will tell you that all public money or all tax breaks or all um, you know incentives given to to private sports owners are bad and, and dumb. But yes, I see what you're saying. And, and, and the other thing, too, is, I mean, I, I was born and raised in L.A. I kind of know that market pretty well, especially the sports market. And, you know, I go back, uh, you know, pretty regularly from, you know, from, from the New York area. And, um, you know, it's going to be interesting because the Chargers going up from San Diego, I think, is a horrible deal. I mean, it's just it's bad for um, cultural football. But if they do it, they're going to do it primarily because of the of the kind of stadium deals they're going to do with Kroenke and, 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 and the reinvention of LA and so on. And, um, and, and I think the Rams is a cleaner fit because there was history there. And I actually think the Rams are going to do really well in LA, but I think the chargers will be kind of like a Chivas version of, mm. of the NFL because well, look, it, it might their be- fan base is so basic and loyal to San Diego, yeah. which is going to open up a huge gaping hole because when you think about it, um, and if you don't know that area, basically south of Anaheim, there's really not much professional uh, sports except for really the Padres. And, you know, that's going to be, and, and that's a huge area. I mean, you're, you're, you're dealing with almost 8 million people. So there's actually a massive opportunity for MLS in the, in, in, in the San Diego area, especially when you're dealing with, you know, Tijuana and, yeah, and, and, yeah. And, and and the border towns. I, I actually think that could be one of the more successful MLS. Or okay, well, I, I actually think it could be the equivalent of Portland. You're you're bringing so some like the first Portland. You're bringing some bias here to the table, admittedly, Aaron. But based on where you come from, but but do you think you think that San Diego actually is a better idea than than St. Louis? Yeah, I, I do for a couple reasons. Is that um, there's there's some basic football demographics that work there, anyways. And the other thing is, is that you have a huge span from Anaheim down through the border area where you just don't have a lot of professional sports anyways. I mean, you know, I, I would argue you could have put another American sports team, non, non-soccer based sports team in, in that, in that region. It's because of the growth. It, it's grown tenfold in my lifetime in that, in that area. And the only thing they lost was a basketball team because, because the Clippers are, you know, originally were from San Diego. So, yeah. you know, you, you really haven't had any growth and enough. It was the chargers. Uh, they don't have college football. San Diego state's a joke. I mean, it's a great college to have fun, but I mean, it's not really a place to, you know, it's, it's not a sports, uh, uh, you know, big time sports university. So you really don't have any sports except for the Padres south of, of, of Anaheim. 
which is about 100 miles from the border, you know, about 110 miles from the border. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a huge, and you have like 8 million people there. So I actually think San Diego is like a slam dunk. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if, but I don't know if the MLS people, because they're very New York centric and LA centric, they kind of see that space that way well look, um, it, look so much of the focus i mean again this is talking, we're talking about trends here and i think it's interesting so much of the focus has been on urban locations for stadiums and i get that i mean that, that that's certainly been a recipe and you and you've seen so many teams sort of um you know turn themselves into into fringe entities in chicago and dallas and denver with bad locations, uh, the Red Bulls to a certain extent. I mean, the, you take what you could get. The problem is it's, it's t- it was all timing back then. You took what you could get because you had to be out of Soldier Field or you had to be out of Mile High Stadium. But then, okay, no, well, now we're, we're 20 miles away from the, the, the urban core and, and the, 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 the very fan base that we want to try to attract, the young people aren't coming out. Now, I know San Diego is got a lot of those young people. The question is whether or not they will come off the beaches to go to the games, Aaron. Well, I mean, I just think there's a big um, sports void, anyways, in that in, in 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 that region. I mean, you have I mean, you have people. I know people for years. Uh, I mean, I was at the USC UCLA game this year, uh, you know, over Thanksgiving, and friends they, they they drove up from San Diego for this because it's just there's nothing down. I mean, they'll they'll drive up for Ducks matches in, in Anaheim. That's an hour. Well, if the traffic's bad, that's a two hour drive to go see you know, a hockey match in the middle of the week. I mean, so there, there's just a huge base available down in, in, in that, in that region. And I actually think, um, you could use the desperation, which San Diego will have because San Diego is trying to become a, you know, a big time city and losing an NFL franchise. is kind of one of those basic things in America that doesn't make it look like you're becoming a big time city. And, um, you know, yeah, Aaron, I'm sorry. I got, but, I got, uh, I got a bunch of people yeah. lined up here. So, so yeah, just, uh, if you got, a, if you got a closer here, we'll, I'll let you go. Quick, quick little closer. I think it's a great match with, uh, you know, Liverpool Arsenal. I actually uh, have, uh, uh, Liverpool pulling a result out today. Ooh. A draw. All right. We'll see what happens with that. So that's I actually a, think that's a, that would be a big boost to Jurgen Klopp, certainly. All right, Aaron. I appreciate the call, man. Absolutely. Thanks. There you go. So yep, Aaron in Jersey. Good stuff from him. Uh, let's uh, talk to Al in Missouri, who's been waiting patiently. What's up, Al? Oh, kind of feeling blue about the Rams leaving St. Louis. Yeah, you know, no. um, I feel <laughs> I feel bad. Uh, our, our friend Simon Evans from Reuters uh, was tweeting that he was in St. Louis to talk to fans about the about the team leaving uh, as it was announced last night. These there are people in St. Louis, Al, I don't know how old you are, but there are people in St. Louis who 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 certainly have uh, remember 1987 when the Cardinals left and now they have yes, to Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, go ahead. I remember that. And I also remember, you know, one of the things, you know, St. Louis is a good sports town, but one of the problems we have, you know, going back is having to try to maintain teams in St. Louis. You know, we lost an NBA team. Yep. Um, and also, too, if you look at the history of soccer, you know, St. Louis has always been a, a soccer town. But if you go back to 1977 when the Stars were there, you know, we lost, what, six or seven different um, soccer franchises. Not the fall of the, uh, of the city. It was because we were playing in unstable leagues. At that time, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so I don't, I don't want to put that on. Yeah, that's that's, that's the thing here. Yeah, like, St. Louis, um, 
again, I, I don't know I wa- if I want to equate St. Louis's soccer history and the, and the quote, and the fact that, that St. Louis is quote unquote a soccer town to, to a clear notion that a professional team is going to succeed. But at the same time, you have to consider the stability of the leagues that they played in, which was bad back in the day. The fact that they basically oh. got rail, the, the AC St. Louis program got railroaded by terrible decisions. <sighs> Um, by the guy in charge, I can't remember his name. Jeff something. Jeff Cooper. Jeff Cooper. Jeff Cooper. Yeah, you know, it, he was, it's, no, he was. Go ahead. I would say he was no. He was just as bad as Dan Crockett. He just placed a team in there and just basically left and everything else. He was nowhere to be available to be interviewed and everything else. Never advertised the team basically, and then the team just folded. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, he. I think he ended up selling. A portion of the team to to some shady European businessmen. He um, he hired. They hired um, Claude Anelka, Nicholas Anelka's brother. Yes. <laughs> what a joke that situation was. Uh, but Al, okay. So we just had uh, just had Aaron on the air advocating for San Diego to be a uh, an expansion uh, ex- expansion candidate and saying that it would be a better idea than St. Louis. Are, are you going to tell me that St. Louis is a better idea than anywhere else right now? Oh, right now St. Louis is right now because they have the um, infrastructure. They just need, you know, Dave Peacock, who's the guy who was trying to um, who put the stadium task force, who has some money and everything else. What he should do is, is that, you know, in the next couple months, come up with a stadium plan for a soccer stadium, but see if he can do it without, you know, because Unfortunately, if you're going to ask for public money for a soccer stadium, I mean, that's not going to fly. I mean, the politicians were there will be like, no way. We're not going to do that again. They're going to have to come with a privately funded stadium. And they're going to have to get, you know, the St. Louis baseball Cardinals who have hosted, you know, soccer matches over the last couple of months, years and everything else to get on board and maybe, you know, become an investor of St. Louis um, FC. Dave Peacock can maybe become one of the investors, too, because he has some money. He used to work for Anheuser-Busch yeah. and everything else. And they, they're going to have to do a study like Louisville is doing right now. Come up with a stadium plan. Come up with a study. How are we going to um, renovate, you know, Riverfront, the Riverfront that was supposed to be the, um, the NFL stadium was supposed to be there, but it's not anymore. How are we going to? Rejuvenate that area. Yeah, you know, I, I don't. I appreciate the call, Alec. I got to move on. I got a bunch of people lined up. Um, I you know, certainly consider. Okay, talk to you again. All right, thanks, Alec. Look, St. Louis is a, is an intriguing candidate, and I again, I don't know that the Rams leaving should be the thing that then takes up MLS interest. Of course, again, you have to have the ownership and the stadium plan and all of those things. Um, but it, it does it does naturally feed into this notion that that there's a void to fill now. When people make the comparison between Seattle, which lost the Sonics and, and the success of the Sounders, let's just remember that all the, so- the Sounders had everything lined up, including a notion of playing again, it, not in a soccer specific stadium, but in a stadium with soccer designed, uh, you know, p- partly designed with soccer in mind. A- and there was already an infrastructure there, the partnership with the, with the Seahawks. It's not exactly the same idea if the Rams leave. I, I don't know that people just automatically flock to the soccer team because they're they, they're they're missing um, the St. Louis Rams. Bill in in New York, you're on the air. Jason here. I'm just calling about the uh, NFL move out to L.A. And uh, last night, our five o'clock news came out with the Rams going back to L.A. 
and then they let it go up, saying that they weren't the only team going to L.A. And I was like, oh, my God. Everything that LAFC is doing right, they're going to shoot themselves in the foot here. And I thought they were going to be the other team going with them to this football stadium and ruin everything that they had. I was glad uh, to hear it wasn't uh, them, that it was the Chargers. No, no. But no. for a minute there, I thought, oh, this is great. Look at us, MLS. We made 5 o'clock news. But it would be for all the wrong reasons, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I, I'm I don't. Glad that wasn't the case. I, I don't know how LAFC. You know, I don't think they have to respond to this necessarily. And there's not a much. There's not much you can do. But man, it, it just they're just their job just got a lot harder. It just got a lot harder. Yeah, where are they going to put another stadium down? No, 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 no. LAFC has already got their I, uh, stadium plan done. They're they're good on the stadium front, Bill. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about trying to rise above and grab any attention as being the new boys on the block in the sports realm of LA when the Rams are coming back and when the Chargers are potentially joining them as well. Yeah, and I want to talk yesterday. You had a guy on your guest who I thought was great talking about NASL and expansion and all this stuff. And he brought up a lot of good points. And, like, you guys are talking about it right now with St. Louis and everybody else. Mm-hmm. And I think, and I know this has come up in the past, an expansion city, which, after all the criteria that he was putting out yesterday, would actually be perfect. And I think he might have even brought it up yesterday, is Nashville. I think Nashville's perfect. I think that's like Portland of the South. You know, it's a, a, a great town. It doesn't have at all. You have baseball. It's great. You play soccer. And it's the only thing, and everybody—that's their sport, and that would be their their well, team. And I think it would take the, off down there. The, uh, the the Tennessee Titans play in Nashville, Bill. Did you know that? But all right, <laughs> you got me there. <laughs> I, uh, I'm I'm done with football. I'm completely done with. That. Okay, yeah. So the, the football, t- uh, like, they, they, because it's because it's Tennessee, the people may not connect. I mean, I don't know that the. the I don't know. It, yeah, the the Titans play in Nashville, so, but but Nashville's not. I don't think Nashville's a bad idea necessarily. Uh, again, it's not just about you know we, we could we could pull up a map of the United States and and look at some towns and go oh San Diego that'd be great, St. Louis that'd be great, Nashville that'd be great, San Antonio that'd be great, uh, whatever. But it it takes it takes all of these other things getting lined up in order for MLS to consider a city, and and again. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I I don't like I don't like MLS being reactive, but I sort of understand why they have to be. Yeah, I think it's just the uh, stage that we're in, and we got to look for these small markets, and it's one of them that I like. All right, Bill. and with the draft tomorrow, yeah. everybody's making a big deal about how there's nothing good about the draft. It's a fun day. Oh no, 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 no. Let's from, take it for that. From a fan let's perspective, take if it you- for that. If you have an opportunity as a fan, and that's why the East Coast drafts, I think, are, are, are the best ones. And no offense to, to Kansas City and Indianapolis, where I think it's been in recent years. But the East Coast drafts are the best because you got the D.C. United fans can come up from Baltimore. The Philly fans, the New York fans, the Res fans, they want to come down and make that trip from Boston. There's, there's, I mean, Columbus isn't that far away. Fans can show up and be part of this. And, uh, I, you know, the, the first draft I ever attended was in Baltimore a couple years ago. And I remember... Oh no no! I, I think maybe it was a Philly draft a couple years back. I, I don't know. It, one of them, the the fans going at each other is the best part of the draft. To be honest with you, it is. I know they have a bus coming from New York going down there, and all the sport is going. It's a great day. It's a, just a good day for MLS and just enjoy it for what it is. Yeah, there you go, Bill. Thank I appreciate you. the call. Thanks a lot, man. We're talking. Uh, look, obviously, we're talking MLS expansion. Everybody's got their thoughts. Uh, you know, I, I I find myself kind of holding back on. Picking, picking a town and saying, hey, that'd be a great place for soccer because 
there are so many variables at play, including just the general, the general soccer community. I mean, this is why St. Louis gets mentioned because they got that history. There's a soccer town, but there's, there's other things involved clearly that, uh, for a, a sport that is not yet mainstream. I mean, if this is the NHL or, or even, uh, well, the NHL is more mainstream than, than soccer, so it's a little bit of an easier push. Let's go to uh, Stan in, in New York. What's up, Stan? Hey, how's it going, brother? So it's going well. What's on your mind? Hey, nothing heavy, man. Um, just wanted to piggyback off of kind of like the trend of what everybody was talking about regarding their expansion possibilities. Yep. It's a little funny. Um, I've been reading online, and um, San Diego has a couple of competing um, potential ownership groups, you know, and... For me, that's a little that's a little out there, you know, because I think Landon he's linking up with the um, um, he shot that uh, down. I think the British Stan. guy from Fox Soccer. Stan, Stan, um, Stan, Stan. I forget Stan, his name right now. Stan, Stan, Hello? Stan. Yeah, that's Warren Barton, but uh, but Landon shot that down. He shot that down on Twitter. He said that's not true. Okay, cool. <laughs> well, yeah, I just wanted to, you know, that would have been a little funny seeing where MLS would have gone. Uh, maybe Landon, maybe the other guys. I know there's some kind of like real estate guys that are looking into some stuff too. But um, I want to actually call and talk about Jordan Morris and about um, where he should or shouldn't be going. You, you know, I get it, man. You know, regarding the kind of like hometown sentiment, you want to make sure, you know, like MLS gets at least first dibs at him. But for me, this is a no-brainer for him as a player and also as a um, also as a U.S. men's national team player. He has to go to Werder Bremen. You know, um, uh, again, everybody talks about playing time. Okay, say they sign him for uh, I think the offer that Lagerwey's offering him is around 200k. Say if um, Werder Bremen gives him about 250k, loans him out to uh, to a Bundesliga two bottom dweller. Again, do you want him competing against that kind of defense or the USL two defense? You know, he's not going to start over Dempsey and Obafemi. Yeah, no, you know, um, they're not going to put Dempsey at kind of like the peak of a diamond and have him play at number 10. No, They've but, tried that. No. That's a mess. Dempsey there, doesn't there, work hard enough. Stan. Um, Dempsey's getting older. Hello? There, there, there are minutes, but there are minutes available in Seattle. Trust me on this. There are minutes. There are Lamar Nagel, Chad Barrett type minutes available in Seattle. Uh, he he but, would but, play. But again, okay, I'm listening. Go ahead. No, 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 he would play. They would not just send him to USL two and for for the season. I mean, he might go up and down. I don't know how that works in terms of the rules. But trust me, he's going to be first guy off the bench. If they sign him to a two hundred thousand dollar contract, he's a U.S. international. He's already got name recognition, and he's a talented player. Mac Herman Award winner. He's going to play in Seattle. I don't think it's going to be starting minutes, but he's going to play. And and so to to identify this as. Well, don't play in Seattle or play in Bundesliga two or two Bundesliga. I, I don't think that's I don't think that's the right equation. No, well, well, that's your opinion. I respect that, but again, this is kind of like a platform for constructive and you know, um, differing opinions on certain matters. You know, re- regarding like him getting minutes at Seattle. Okay, this is Dempsey and Obafemi. Let's look at let's look at the situation. Dempsey and Obafemi are getting older. Yeah. So what is he going to get? About like maybe 15, 20 minutes? They're going to want to get a good majority of whatever they have left out of these next couple of years with them. You know, especially they're going to try to push for a title. These guys are getting older. They're not going to put the hopes of a championship on some kid. So, again, I hear you. Yeah, he might get like 15 minutes as a sub. That's not going to cut it. You know, so, of course, he's going to be hungry. They're going to want to have to um, um, appease him. He's going to have to go down to USL2 and get minutes. So, again, what is the, what is the, what is the better outcome? Him playing majority of his time in USL2, playing against those guys, 
in USL or playing against Bundesliga two type opposition teams that are clamoring to try to get to to, to a first division. You know, like let's be honest about this. These guys in USL are mostly veteran guys or 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 college guys that just can't get on with the MLS or NESL team. You know, or NESL guys that are going down to USL because the level is comparable between the two leagues. You know, so again, who is he competing against? Yeah, I, I just don't. I'm sorry, Stan. I just don't. Thanks for the call, man. I, 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 I just don't agree with the assessment of what the likelihood of of, of Jordan Morris's time with Seattle. I, I think he's getting a lot more minutes with Seattle than you're than, than you think he will for for whatever reason. Now, again, if the equation is USL two or two Bundesliga, yeah, okay, two Bundesliga. But it, it, there's obviously a lot of other factors involved here, and we don't even know for a fact Werder Bremen wants to sign him. We don't know for a fact that they would loan him out to a two Bundesliga team that he would absolutely start with. I mean, they may have some other idea. They may put him in the reserves. If if Jordan Morris at 21 years old is playing with the Werder Bremen reserves in the fourth division of German football, is that a good place for him to be? I mean, I, I don't think that that's what, that's, that's a better situation. Is it third division? Okay, third division. Is that a better situation than, than Seattle? Playing USL minutes? I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I really don't know. I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not making a decision for Jordan Morris. I really don't know. I'm trying to figure out exactly, uh, how many minutes, um, how many minutes Lamar Nagel got last year. But, uh, this is probably isn't going to be a difficult search on the air. In the middle of this, and we do have to wrap up this program. Okay, here we go. Here's here's minutes, just to give a, an idea. Lamar Nagel got two thousand minutes last year. Now, he was a starter for a large chunk of the year, but he was also not exactly always first eleven. A guy like okay, well, Clint Dempsey missed time. Now, Lamar, the, the, maybe Lamar Nagel is not the right equation, uh, you know, right comparison for Jordan Morris in terms of minutes because. Jordan Morris, as we believe, will probably get some call-ups to the national team, and that'll take him out of the mix, whereas Lamar Nagel was never getting called up. But a guy, you know, a guy like Marco Papa got 1,400 minutes last year. Christian Roldan, as a rookie, got 1,000 minutes last year. Um, I think that there's, again, I think that there's time in, on, on the field for Jordan Morris in Seattle. A good, a, a good 25, 30 appearances. Maybe not, maybe not that many, maybe 20 appearances. But that's a good base for a rookie player in a good team. And he's going to be training with Obafemi Ortons and Clint Dempsey every day. That can't hurt. If Werder Bremen, he's going to be getting great coaching and playing with very good players too if he signs with them. But again, what is the, what is the playing time dynamic for him? And, and, you know, is the culture a problem for a guy like Jordan Morris? Don't know. All right. Fantastic calls from, from everybody. Aaron, Bill, Al. Who, who do we talk to first? I don't even remember. Uh, all of you guys, fantastic stuff. Thanks for the calls today. Thank you to Travis Clark from Top Door Soccer for his insights on the MLS Super Draft and Jordan Morris. Make sure you're following him at Travis M. Clark on Twitter and reading Top Door Soccer uh, for all of their mock drafts and mocking, draft mocking and all that stuff. All right. We'll, uh, we'll get out of here. Talk to you guys. Ooh, that's loud. Talk to you guys tomorrow. When the draft is going to get underway, I'm not sure. What time does that thing go off? I don't know. We'll, we'll track it tomorrow. Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. See ya.